Good morning, Chuck. What's up, Scott? Morning back at you. What's up, Greg Martinez? How are you, buddy? Hope you're going to have a good weekend. What's up, Britt and Jordan and Stan Davis? What's up, Stan and Michael? How's everybody? Hey, Pat. What's going on, man? What's up, Tim McConnell and Stephanie Lee? What's up, Dana and Vinny and Jesse Dilly? Eric from Georgia? Nice. What's up, Tommy Parker and Billy Hall? <laughs> Old school o and Chuck writes, oh, look, all of Scorch's fans on the beach. <laughs> you guys are fucking brutal. Barbados checking in. Damn. And Ottawa, Canada. We're all over the world right now. I like it. What's up, Jennifer Ferris? Morning back to you. Pensacola Beach. Good morning. I like that. And Myrtle Beach checking in. Damn, you guys are all over the fucking place. They're closing the beaches, though, in Florida, huh? Oh, you've been gone since Carl died? I understand, man. I, uh, I've i had a very, very hard time moving on since Carl's passing. And then I was using Vic Henley. Not using, but we were we were good friends, too. So we were leaning on each other over the Carl thing. And then Vic uh, takes a Pasadena on us. But I understand. But we're, we're doing good stuff with the podcast. We got a nice group. Got very nice people. It's very easy and casual, not a lot of drama, no toxicity. It's just just a good hang. Mandatory masks uh, in North Carolina. I have a tough time saying masks. <laughs> Let me try, masks. See, I got to put that S on the end of it, and I have a tough time doing it, masks. <laughs> Don't forget to wear your masks. Masks. Yeah, we should be wearing the mask. Even Dick Cheney, who pretty much eats lard three times a day, is telling us we should be wearing the mask. Whatever. Do whatever you want. What am I, I going to do, man? This country's fucked up. Coronavirus is completely out of control, only in America. Seems like the rest of the world is sort of uh, doing the right thing. But not in America. God, no, man. Our egos are too much. We stayed in long enough. We need to get outside. Whatever. Let's not even talk about that, right? Turn off the news. Nah, turn off the news, Dorothy says. <laughs> nah. That's what you say to the coronavirus? Nah. <laughs> Come on, man. It is a real thing. Are both sides using the coronavirus to their advantage? Of course, but it is a real thing. What happened to Club Soda Kenny and Mike the Cop? You mean uh, Sappho? I talk to Sappho almost every other day, but it's hard for him to produce the podcast because we're in isolation. But we talk all the time. And Club Soda Kenny, I haven't talked to him in a few months now. Um, I don't know what Kenny's up to. I, I hope he's uh, I hope he's well and staying safe. I like Club Soda Kenny. Uh, now you're asking about E-Rock. I, I, I don't really keep in touch with a lot of these people, as, as you know by now, man. It's been a long time. I mean, the ONA show went away six years ago. I, I've moved on to other things. I wish, even even though I've had major issues with some of those people, I, I, I wish them all well. But I, I don't live in that world anymore. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I'm glad that people love the ONA show. I'm glad they still listen to a lot of it online almost every day but uh i i just don't keep in touch i don't know what they're doing on a day-to-day basis uh i don't really think about them that much anymore i got a whole bunch of new people that i 
care about and keep in touch with and spend my energy on. I don't, I don't know what uh, all those guys are up to. I, I wish them well, and I hope they're um, staying safe, and I hope they're healthy, but that's about it. I know the show meant so much to so many people, but um, when it's all said and done in my life, it's just, it's just another thing that I did. Proud of it, but it doesn't define me. My day-to-day life doesn't revolve around that at all. I'd rather do this. I'd rather hang out on a dumb Facebook Live. I'd rather do my podcast with my friends, although they're dropping like flies. (laughs) Jesus. God. (sighs) I'll be honest with you. um, You know, the Vic Henley thing when he died in April, I was really bummed, obviously, but I also was in denial because we're all in quarantine. And uh, not getting out there much, and I don't really live in the city anymore. Uh, I still got a place, and I go back to get the bills. But I escaped New York, and um, as far as me and Vic Henley's friendship goes, it was all about New York. Didn't really feel real to me for whatever reason. And we finally did a uh, memorial online. We did a Zoom memorial. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that has had to do this. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of you out there that... I've had to do a Zoom wake or memorial or funeral. Um, it was really, really weird to see Vic Henley's uh, brother talking. Tough guy, Terry Henley, breaking down. Vic's mom, Gloria, breaking down. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy was unbelievable, talking about Vic Henley in the old days and Ron White and Kathy Madigan and Ben Bailey and Judd Jones. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. Rob Bartlett and many, many others. It was really nice, and the stories were really nice. And then the Zoom thing ended, and I just collapsed. I was just a mess. It finally really, really hit me that I'm not going to see Vic Henley again. Um, I've been kind of keeping kind of to myself ever since. That was about a week ago almost. Vic Henley was just a very, very special guy. Turns out he was a goddamn genius, man. Everything I'm learning about Vic after his passing, he was a genius. They wanted to move him up um, dramatically. When he was a kid, like when he was in the first grade, something like that, the second grade, the school went to Gloria, Vic's mom, and said, this kid is is brilliant. We got to move him up. And they wanted to move him up like two or three grades. We're talking about a Doogie Hauser thing here with Vic Henley for the old timers. And Gloria goes, I will not do that. I need him to stay with his friends. Because if you're that brilliant and smart and they move you all the way up, now you're around monsters. You're not even hitting puberty yet. And you got to hang out with uh, people that are much older than you and makes your social life pretty shitty. And Gloria understood that. And pretty much kept Vic back and kept him in the grade um, that his friends all were in. So, But, man, he had a photographic memory. He, this guy didn't, didn't forget anything that happened in his life. It was unbelievable. And every time you hung out with Vic Henley, you made sure you listened. I mean, there's a lot of people in your life you know, and they start talking, and you just, like, tune out. It's just white noise to you, and you're just looking at their lips, and all you hear is babble, 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 babble. But with Vic Henley, when he talked, you listened because you were going to learn something. 
whether it was a really funny story from his past or some kind of music knowledge or just knowledge in general. He was a walking encyclopedia, that guy. He was interesting every single time I talked to him. He will absolutely be uh, missed. I'm on VH1. Who remembers? What's that? I had an audition for uh, VH1. I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but I, um, I was at Caroline's, and I believe it was Stephen Lynch. We went there to support Stephen Lynch, and I went on stage to just do a couple minutes up front, basically say hi to the crowd, blah, blah, blah. A lot of our fans were there. And little did I know uh, there was somebody from VH1 in the audience, and they called me the next day and said, we want to bring in for an audition. And so I went in, and uh, I was in front of, I think it was a green screen, I don't remember anymore, but I remember there wasn't much of a set. And they wanted me to, they would throw like videos at me, or artists, and then they wanted me to riff and talk about the, um, the video slash music artist. And I did for about a half hour. And uh, lo and behold, I crushed the audition. And they called me up. They're like, great news, man. We want to hire you to be a VH1 VJ or whatever the hell it was back then. And I'm thinking, fuck yeah. I mean, I love radio, but fuck yeah, man. And I go, so um, how much does it pay? And I don't remember the exact number anymore, but it was really low. I think it was around 60000 a year, which, which is a healthy living for a lot of people. I understand that. Not so much if you're living in New York City, by the way. I was making, let's just say, a bit more than that doing radio. And you would think TV would pay more. And I'm like, wait, what? 60000 a year? They're like, yeah, and we need you to you know, quit your radio job. We need you to be exclusive to VH1. I'm like, I can't live off $60,000 a year um, in New York City. So I passed on uh, VH1. That, that's, that's, a, that's a true story. <laughs> I was always bummed, though, because I'm like, God, that was my shot. Maybe I should have done it and then hoped that the money would have got better after that. But Billy DeTore, what's up, brother? How are you, man? Brother Weez's old uh, producer. Another guy that got the, the damn pipe from this stupid radio business. Radio has become a complete disaster. So many good, solid, talented people are what they call on the beach without a job. And Billy DeTore is one of them. Good guy, that Billy. And he listens to every episode of this damn podcast. And I appreciate that, Billy. That <laughs> Billy. Billy writes, 60000 a year. Don't you know I'm a fancy man? I'm in, I'm in general humble, <clears throat> excuse me, because I didn't have a lot of money growing up at all, but the fact is the 60000 wasn't going to get, get me anywhere, because at that p- time I was trying to figure out how to get a place in New York and whatnot, and um, for anyone that knows New York City real estate, you can't even really get a one-bedroom apartment for less than a million dollars. The average price for a one-bedroom apartment in New York City before the coronavirus, by the way, was right around a million dollars, maybe a little more even, if you wanted to live in a, a decent neighborhood. That's just crazy. Online the other day, they had Joe Rogan's mansion, I guess, out there in, um, I don't know where he lives. I think he lives in the, in the hills. This place was stunning, modern, had everything you would want, the views, the infinity pool, uh, wide-open spaces just gorgeous the uh the price of the of his uh mansion was 4.1 million dollars i looked at my wife and i said we're moving <laughs> you should see what you get 
I know this sounds like bitching. I'm just I'm just putting it in perspective. This is how crazy New York City is. You should see what you get for four million dollars in New York City. They basically go, well, you know, you get a view of uh, Central Park. Where? Well, you see this window over here. Now, if you if you open the window and put your head out and stretch and lean out and then look all the way to the right over your shoulder, you can see Central Park. And that's why, you know, this apartment's an extra $500,000 because of the view. Ah, <laughs> oh, just terrible people in New York City. Yes, Terry. Terry goes, I'm sure VH1 offered you a lifetime of bikini teenies. You would have taken the job. Hell Yeah. Fuck New York City, come on down to Texas. I would love to go to Texas again. I don't know if I could live there. See, the problem is, there's a million really cool places I would love to live, but then you have to say goodbye to your family. The friends, ah, whatever. You can make friends wherever. You know, my really good friends don't even live near me anymore. I got one in um, L.A. I got one in Georgia. Um, I got uh, one in Rochester. I got one in Buffalo. They're all over the place, and we, we keep in touch. But it's the family thing. That's what makes it tough to move to some of these other places. Like, I would like to go to Austin, Texas and live. Uh, I would like to take a peek at Portland, Oregon. I would like to really say fuck it and move to Hawaii. Um, but then you're basically saying goodbye to your family. But then again, with the, the FaceTime and all that, it's not as bad. I was telling my kids, they, they didn't even understand this. I said, uh, you know, they got really good friends. And I go, cherish them, you know, because you never know when one's going to move. I said, I had this friend, John McCullough, when I was growing up. We were inseparable. And one day he uh, he tells me, we're moving to Michigan. I'm like, what the fuck? And this is way before smartphones, my friends, way before FaceTime. The old timers understand this. And I said, so I guess this is it, huh? And we hung out one last day. He moved to Michigan. I was barely a teenager. Um, We kept in touch maybe once or twice, maybe three times total. Because back then, calling a friend long distance, oh my God. That was almost impossible to get done. You would beg your parents, can I make this long distance call? And and they would think of how much that was going to cost. We forget all this. Uh, I had to say goodbye to John McCullough after maybe talking to him three times long on long distance. And that's just how it was back then. When a friend left, that was it. Maybe they would come back for the summer for a week or two and and you would rekindle the friendship. But then then that week or two would be over and then they would go back to their lives. You go back to yours. Maybe you would try to write a letter. But writing a letter to a dude was no bueno. Look, I know we're way past that and there are dudes writing to each other. I get it. But I come from a time, man, if you wrote a letter to a dude. (laughs) Not good. We've come a long way. Who could stay in New York City? Move. Yeah, man. I have a lot of friends um, that just said fuck it. And um, they have the means. So they just left their apartments in New York City and basically said to everybody, uh, get my mail, whatever, water my plants if you can, but we're not coming back for a year, and they just took their whole family out of there, and they're giving it a year with this whole coronavirus, but even if the coronavirus is figured out, New York City is going to take a really, really long time to come back, a lot of small businesses, New York City, that's the beauty of New York City, all the small businesses all over the place, 
uh, the mom and pops are still, um, you know, doing very, very well. They're they're all boarded up, and a lot of those places are not going to come back anytime soon. And then you got the landlords that are just the biggest pricks on on the planet Earth. They don't give a fuck that we're going through a pandemic. They still want their goddamn rent. And they're giving nobody a break on rent in New York City. No one. So you're not wrong. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out where we can maybe move to. But anyway, I told my kids that about John McCullough. And they just couldn't comprehend it. Because they're on FaceTime all the time now with their friends from school. They don't, they don't get it. They don't get that technology has come a long way. And you can keep in touch with your friends so easily. So it almost, if a kid moves now, it's almost not a big deal. There's so much they can't comprehend. My my wife, my uh, daughter, I was I was driving her home from school. We're at a red light, and there was a phone booth to the right. New York City kept a, a bunch of the phone booths, and they're like hot spots for Wi-Fi. And they're also, um, I don't know, there's some kind of program where it's kind of a phone, but I think it's also like video chat. I'm not really sure. I, I've seen it, but I, 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 haven't, uh, I haven't used it. But anyway, she sees the phone booth, and she goes, Daddy, what's that? no comprehension of what a phone booth was and I tried to explain to her well back in the day you left your house and that was it uh you you didn't have a phone and you were pretty much on your own like it was the wild wild west and they couldn't wrap their heads around that at all that you had to search out a phone booth if you wanted to call somebody and try to figure out where everybody was hanging out yeah there you go remember heading off with your friends with no cell phones or nothing and how great that was yeah it was awesome man it was kind of an adventure, you know, if you were really into, let's say, a girl and uh, you were leaving your house for the night, there was no guarantee you were even going to run into her or, or your friends. People would say, you know, we're going to start at the Artful Dodger, then we might move on to Strawberries or uh, Fast Eddie's. So then you would hit town and then you would hit the first bar and realize, ah, no one's there, but you would get a... Just a little piece of information. There'd be maybe someone there that you, you kind of know, that you kind of like, but not enough to spend the night with. And you're like, hey, did you see blah, blah, and blah, blah? Oh, yeah, I think they uh, headed down the street around the corner to whatever place. And then you're like, all right, man, thank you. And then you would go to that place and you get a little more info. No, man, they were just here, but they decided they had to go to 7-Eleven to get some smokes. But they said they're coming back or they're going to go uh, over to Fast Eddie's. All right, man, thanks. And then finally, it would all come together, and you know, then and that's and that's how it was. And then you got to hang out, but it took some effort and some time to track everybody down back in the day. Beepers, yes, beepers were ridiculous, <laughs> but beeper went off, and, and the technology was such your beeper would go off, but now you had to find a phone to find out what the message was was <laughs> on your beeper. I, I'm talking about the first, the first uh, wave of beepers. And that would be exciting, like, oh, my God, they just gave us a beep. I'm like, oh, my God, where's the, the nearest phone? And then you would find a phone, and then you would get a little knowledge there. Meet us at blah, blah. But by the time he got there, and then they were already gone. You're always just chasing, 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 chasing. Uh, kids were better at planning back then? Yeah. Hey, what's up, Stephanie? She says, amen. And how to remember phone numbers. Yes, James. Yeah, my kids don't understand that either. I mean, if you were good, you remembered at least, at least 20 phone numbers. Imagine that, at least. You would recite them like it was nothing. You didn't really write down phone numbers. 
maybe if it was a special gal, you would put a phone number in your in your wallet or whatever. But uh, in general, you knew everyone's uh, phone numbers. Pia, your dad had a, a car phone and it was huge. Yeah. Remember when um, cell phones, you had to kind of carry them in a bag and almost set them up? Get it all set so you could try to make a call? Who knows what kind of radiation people were getting back then with those giant first cell phones. We were too poor for that shit. Kim says it. Uh, her first cell phone was a bag phone that weighed like 10 pounds. Yeah, man. And you carried that shit around. I remember the people that had those, though. Uh, they they were so cool. Everyone was like, holy shit, you see that? You see that state-of-the-art technology? That's amazing. Yeah, the drug deal phones. <laughs> Rich says, uh, good morning to the pod squatters. Morning, all. Yeah, what's up? Morning, morning, morning. And it costs you like $35 to get one uh, call done. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. So that's why you couldn't really keep in touch. I was such a wuss, man. When I went to Geneseo, I fell in love with this girl. She lived in Utica, New York. At college, we were in heaven. Inseparable. And then all of a sudden, the last day of the school year hit. And then the reality that uh, you'd have to wait like 10 weeks to see her again. Um, and then writing the letters back and forth. And just like I said earlier, then maybe my mom would allow me to make a long-distance call once, not a week, not a week, once maybe every two or three weeks. And it was just torture counting down the days until you would see her again. And then uh, I would try to get enough money together to jump on a fucking bus to go see her which I did, and then my suspicions. There was always the high school quarterback that was hanging around. Oh, he's just a friend now. I know we went out before I went to college, but he's moved on, and I've moved on. And what's his name? Oh, his name's Josh. And I'm like, of course his name is Josh. Perfect high school quarterback athlete with the name Josh. And I'm competing with this shit. And I live on Long Island and you're up here in Utica. And I got to trust your young 18, 19-year-old body that you and Josh aren't going to do anything over the summer. Oh, no, man. Not at all. And then I get up there after a long goddamn bus ride. I got swamp ass, tired. Let's go to the bar. What bar is it? Oh, it's the bar we hang out at. Oh, great. All right, cool, man. Now I don't know anybody. I'm out of my element. At college, everything seemed perfect because we had our group and we all hung out. Now I'm in Utica with swamp ass in a bar where I don't know anybody and I'm trying to, trying to, you know, hang out with my, quote, long-distance girlfriend and who walks in the bar but Josh... And I knew immediately, as soon as good old Ope, my name's Opie and his name's Josh. What the fuck was I thinking? Because I knew as soon as good old Opie jumped back on the bus with his swamp ass back to Long Island, because he was a poor Long Island kid, one of seven, eight, nine kids, that good old Josh was going to get in there. (laughs) Of course he was going to. And there I am, a dumb 18, 19-year-old kid just being faithful back on Long Island. 
caddying day in and day out, checking the mailbox, hoping I was getting a letter with some perfume on it. Oh, she wrote when she had time in between hanging out with Josh. Fuck. Stupid long-distance relationships. When people tell me, they're like, you know, we're going to try to uh, have a long-distance relationship. I just go, ha! And laugh right in their face. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? What's up, Kenny? Love you. Miss you too, man. Karen. I like that. But where is Josh now? Yeah, man, because... Kids like Josh, the high school quarterback, they peaked early, man. Their life was over after senior year. They were done. I didn't peak in high school. I barely had pubic hair in high school. My best days were um, ahead of me after high school. But not for people like Josh and other high school standout athletes. They peaked as seniors. I remember there was a bar in uh, Greenlawn, Long Island. I went to Harbor Fields High School. And when I would come home from getting my radio career together and living elsewhere, every once in a while I would go to the local bar in Greenlawn. I forgot the name of it. And when we first graduated, you got the star athletes in there with their, um, with their uh, what do you call them, their jackets, their football jackets, or their basketball jackets if they played basketball. And they were still looked at as like, wow, man, that's fucking cool. That's blah, blah. And then the years would go on and those same guys would still be in the bar with those same jackets. And then it slowly but surely uh, started to feel very, very pathetic. So I like to think that Josh has his dumb... Thank you, varsity jacket. Uh, I I like to think that Josh has his dumb varsity jacket in some hole-in-the-wall bar in Utica, and he doesn't look much like a Josh anymore, (laughs) with his fucking bloated alcoholic face, fuck Josh, was Josh in the (laughs) T-Bird, and this girl was very, very nice, she was very, very nice, I took a little peek over the years, and, and she didn't marry Josh, she ended up marrying somebody else and having a bunch of kids, I wish her well, man, she was very, very cool. She might have been the one that had the smelly pussy, though. So I think I was better off. I come from a time where they didn't understand what that was. They didn't have aisles and aisles dedicated to the pussy at CVS. These girls had to figure that shit out with home remedies passed down from their grandmas to try to take care of their smelly pussies. Or they're dry pussies. Or they're over-wet pussies. (laughs) I didn't mention her name. She's an awesome, awesome person. (laughs) She's an awesome person. (laughs) Pete goes, yuck. Yeah, yuck. I told the famous story. You know, you would get a little action done right before you went home from uh, Geneseo back to Long Island for breaks like Christmas break or Thanksgiving break or the semester break. And, uh, you know, I had quite the night uh, before driving back home to Long Island and I packed up my little Honda Accord for the ride back to Long Island. And, uh, you know, finger popping was all the rage back then. And uh, I'm driving and uh, this was the first time I realized like, oh, my, oh, my God. 
and uh, I, I caught a whiff. Thank God I was by myself. And it is a true story. I've, I, you know, when you're on on uh, a big radio show, sure there are times you exaggerate a little bit, make a story a little better, pump it up. But I'm here to tell you, this story never had to be pumped up whatsoever. I got the whiff. I'm in my Honda Accord. I'm driving 85 miles an hour because there were no uh, troopers on the road for the most part. And I had to roll down that window and drive the six, seven hours back to Long Island with my hand out the window. Yes, I did. Oh, boy, did I. And then I had to scrub, scrub, scrub. And then I had to cut my fingernails all the way down because those pesky smells will get behind the fingernails. (laughs) And then I had to scrub the top of my fingertips. (laughs) Look at everyone puking. (laughs) Hey, this is real life, kids. We're talking real life. Look at all the puking emojis. That was my goal for this Facebook Live to get you guys a puking. The old garbage hand, Vinny says. Did I see the fumes coming off uh, your my fingers? Chuck Tanner writes. Ah, uh, pretty much. I pretty much. A bit of steam. Here, I'll describe this. So imagine the uh, middle of summer. There's no air circulating. It's a good solid 90 degrees. The humidity is rough. It's really bad. And you go behind, let's say, a store. Maybe you have to take a leak or something, and you get a whiff of the dumpster that's kind of leaking. That about explains what uh, was going on. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are hating this. <laughs> Good times, good times. Ah, you fuckers.